0: Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I am Evan Schwarztrauber, your host. On today's show, Apple's fight with the FBI in California is on hold. This week, the San Bernardino magistrate was supposed to hold a hearing, and a day before the hearing, the FBI postponed the hearing because the Bureau said it had found a way into the phone that had caused so much controversy and really sparked a global debate about digital security. Joining me to discuss this is someone who is not secure in any way, Baron Soka. Baron, thank you for joining me.
1: <laughs> oh, I forgot to add you're also president of Tech Freedom. Well, you know, that's where that meanness comes from, Evan. It's it's deep-seated insecurity. <laughs> So, Baron,
0: uh, clearly people were really excited about this hearing. I mean, it was a, it, this is an intense debate, and the FBI kind of just threw a wrench into the whole thing. And after they had previously said that they had exhausted all options, they are now saying they have a method. And just to bring listeners up to speed, what initially started the uh, Apple's fight with the FBI and the DOJ and the president and the court in, in San Bernardino is uh, one of the San Bernardino attackers, Syed Farouk, his phone... Uh, has a security feature, it's it's a passcode, and if you guess the wrong passcode 10 times, the phone wipes itself, which would then deny the FBI any potential data on the phone. They asked, or a court uh, mandated that Apple write proprietary software to remove the 10 times limit so that the FBI could hook up a supercomputer and guess as many passwords as it wants. Yeah, Apple, it Apple refused, basically
1: stopped the phone from deleting its Right,
0: the self-destruct feature. So this is not the same as necessarily the broader encryption debate, it's tangentially related. And um, Apple refused, they were going they were prepared for the court battle and now after the FBI said they previously exhausted all options, they're saying they have a new option. So the court fight's on hold, but the broader legal debate is not, and that involves the All Writs Act, this 1978, 1789 law, excuse me, that is designed for courts to just be able to bring all relevant information in a case to light. Uh, it's how you you know you serve subpoenas, you serve warrants, you compel people to come testify. This is the type of thing that courts do all the time. So while it may sound that a 1789 law doesn't apply to modern times, it really does in a lot of ways. Um, But where do you see this fight going now that the
1: hearing's on hold? Well, well, first of all, let's just talk about how how the reaction played out. So Edward Snowden, for example, uh, accused the FBI of of having committed perjury, saying that, well, it must have been lying when it initially said that it couldn't get access. And that that was pretty typical of uh, reaction from uh, Apple's defenders. Uh, The obvious point to make here, and, and the FBI said this pretty quickly, was just because they couldn't get access initially, just because they they really had exhausted all remedies they had available, uh, doesn't mean that um, that. That as they said, that other people didn't come out of the woodwork to suggest a workaround. Yeah, I mean, the, just the,
0: the media coverage and the global outcry and everything that, in and of itself, brought people out of the woodwork who all wanted to find a way to do what the FBI wanted without making Apple do it, including a libertarian candidate for president and uh, the, the, the owner of McAfee or John McAfee your you know your. your Maybe not your favorite antivirus offer, but he was offering to do it. A lot of people just said, hey, I have the expertise. Don't make Apple do it. So it's not crazy to think that the FBI at one point couldn't do it, and then at a later point they could do it.
1: And the press is reporting, I don't know whether this is true, but that an Israeli cybersecurity company has offered some exploit. So uh, anyway, the the point is I I think both sides need to stop impugning the motives of the other, and we should just assume that the FBI is— is telling the truth that it, it found a way to get into the phone it does raise the question of well are they going to tell apple now about the vulnerability because that vulnerability could be used against everybody else i don't think they will uh if if apple's going to fight them in court then why would they give up the one way they have to get into this phone and other phones so just i just want to note here at the outset there's kind of a perverse incentive here uh, in a way if apple if Apple had been willing to give the FBI what it wanted, the, uh, the FBI would have at least in principle been more willing to help Apple close this loophole because they would have been able to go through a lawful process to get access to data. So that that's just worth saying at, at the outset here.
0: And I mean, just to be fair to the privacy advocates and maybe to Snowden himself, it's not It's tough to really trust the FBI these days. I mean, just given their rhetoric on encryption in general, which, again, is not necessarily exactly related to this case, but they're their political agenda to undermine data security in ways to facilitate investigations. I mean, I guess you could understand why someone like Snowden, who's had his problems with the U.S. government, privacy advocates who've had their problems with the U.S. government, why they're not willing to take the FBI at its word, even in this case, when it seems like the story they're telling, that they once didn't have access, now they do have access, it's plausible.
1: Yeah, I was just reading in in Time magazine last week, one of the commissioners who was on the the special five-member commission that the president set up to to talk about reforms to U.S. surveillance practices. Very much a civil libertarian himself, law professor. His comment about the whole thing was that after having looked into the issue very deeply, he came to respect the work that the NSA was doing on behalf of all Americans and that we should, we should admire them for that, but never trust them. Which I thought was a very good way of putting it. And here, I would say, yes, there is very good reason to be skeptical about the FBI. In particular, uh, last summer, the FBI's director, James Comey, went before Congress and, and served up his own um, crock of something, uh, <laughs> saying essentially, well, gosh darn it, there just has to be a way to compromise end-to-end encryption in communication services that wouldn't make users more vulnerable. And the problem is just that Silicon Valley just hasn't hasn't tried hard enough, but you know, American ingenuity, we can put a man on the moon. Why can't we do that? And maybe the FBI
0: really shot itself in the foot by being so hardline on things like end-to-end encryption, because that really is a different issue. And when we're talking about end-to-end encryption, we talk about things like WhatsApp, where only the sender and the receiver of a message can read it and not even Apple could get it. In this case, we're talking about a self-destruct feature, which is very different, yeah, it, but because the FBI was so hardline on that, on that issue, maybe now no one wants to trust them. Even when our, Arguably, and we have colleagues who believe that they're in the right. Maybe they're right, but they've really dug themselves into this like anti-encryption position where people are not willing to take them at their word.
1: Yeah, well, both sides are, are really taking extreme positions and imputing each other's motives, and it's really getting quite ugly. And and it's I think going to make it very difficult to uh, to have an honest conversation about. Legislation, which is probably what needs to happen here. But,
0: yeah. So, let, let just to to paint the picture now, so you know, Tech Freedom was one of the groups that came out initially very skeptical of the FBI, but this is a complicated issue, and you know, we've since looked at it, and it's 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 not so cut and dry, and the two camps have really dug in. But maybe the solution here is when you have a 1789 law, and it's unclear how it applies to a technology like this, the only step forward is legislation. What would that even look
1: like? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Well, let let me answer your question by trying to to explain the things that i was confused about that i think most people are still confused about. So the first thing is there are two separate conversations here that are intersecting. There is the conversation about communication systems which is that that's end-to-end encryption. Do do you have a way of essentially shutting out third parties from be, getting in the middle of the conversation. That's very troubling to law enforcement because you know, they're they're just not going to have the ability to do an intercept. Uh, uh, now, I think that they're wrong and that, that Americans have a right to end-to-end encryption because, as I've said before, it is a binary issue. You either have a secure end-to-end system or you have a backdoor, and that backdoor can can be used by government as well as bad actors. So yeah. that is conversation number one and something that I think is is already made clear in US law and should be reaffirmed by Congress but conversation number 2 is about security features regarding data at rest essentially it's data on devices like the iPhone and, and it's about how the phones and other software is configured to prevent uh, bad guys or law enforcement from getting access to it and there, there, there it's not a binary issue i mean it's still about math but but it's not a yes or no thing it, it, there are hard cases and you might agree with Apple on some and law enforcement on the other and the point is to, to the usual theme that we talk about, you need a way for the law to strike that balance and that is essentially where this case is ultimately going to go. Unfortunately, we are not really having that debate honestly because we're getting tied up in the, the prior question, a legal question, about the All Ritz Act. Does it apply? And if it does apply, how should it be used? And one of the reasons we're not necessarily having the right conversation is
0: because of politics. So there is the legal case and the legal intricacies and who should win based on the law. And then there's a political debate about digital security going on all around the world. And Apple has a strong incentive to stand up to the FBI for economic reasons, for their image. If the iPhone is seen around the world as a secure device and it's easy to take for granted in the United States where we have a government that tips its hat to due process, but we have other countries like Russia where operating as a journalist is a very scary situation and you need that secure device. And there are considerations, human rights activists in countries run by dictators, that image of Apple being a secure company with a secure device, that's important to them. So there's an economic incentive. And you'll see some national security hawks say all they're doing is protecting their bottom line, but they're also arguably protecting lives, if you're a journalist in Russia, like I said. Um, And then there's political reasons on the other side. If, If, like we mentioned earlier, the FBI has an agenda that's broader than just getting into this one phone, it's also about as uh, undermining end-to-end encryption, not data at rest, data in transit, then they have an incentive to paint companies like Apple as pro-terrorist. You know, just to use the extreme example, it, it's no accident that a case involving a very emotional issue of a terrorist attack on U.S. soil is what is what became public you know this type of issue about getting into a phone could have been could have been could have arisen with a drug dealer case or something like that but it's no shock that this is the case where the battle lines have been drawn because it's so emotional
1: right so let let me let me just pause here and and lay out what's going to happen next and then let's come back to what the law is and then what the policy answer is so so the the San Bernardino case is on hold. Right. The Department of Justice, the FBI, uh, said, we, we don't think we need Apple's help after all. The San Bernardino magistrate said, okay, come back to us in a month and, and let us know. It is. It seems likely that that case will simply disappear. Because the FBI will theoretically get into the phone and they'll find out whether there was information or not, and that's that. Right. Uh, now, it's possible that this this hack won't work and they'll have to come back and that this whole thing will proceed but we don't know. Or it doesn't work and the information gets deleted and then we don't proceed. Right. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, but there's a second fight that's going on here that people are not really paying enough attention to, which is in the Eastern District of New York, in New York City, there's a, a, a drug dealer's phone. Uh, where it's a, it's a slightly different fact pattern because it involves a slightly earlier model of the iPhone. Yeah, something that Apple has actually done before, whereas in the California case, it would be a new action they'd be taking. Right. Uh, so so the, the second question of how the All-Rits Act should apply and what the balance is, is clearly different there for the reason you just mentioned, as well as obviously it's not a national security case, it's an everyday law enforcement case. But, but the, the first question of does the all Ritz Act apply is common to both cases. And in the case of, of San Bernardino, the magistrate had said, yes, it does apply. She didn't really explain why. So that question was not resolved. If that case proceeds, that question will be the one that the first question that goes up to the Ninth Circuit, uh, which generally speaking is the least sympathetic to law enforcement of any court in America. So your a privacy advocate likes the Ninth Circuit. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and it's entirely possible that part of the the FBI's calculus here was they might have figured that they uh, even though they won at the magistrate level in the California case, they might've figured that their odds were actually not as good going to the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco as compared to in New York, where they lost at the magistrate level, they probably have better odds going up to the Second Circuit. Okay, so let me, let me just explain the New York court, court case because this is important. So in New York, the magistrate said the opposite of what the California magistrate says. Uh, the, the magistrate there said, well, I don't think the Ulrich Act should apply. Uh, and then said, okay, but even assuming that it did, I don't think this would be a proper use of the act. And that is uh, very soon, I think, to be appealed to the Second Circuit. So this fight that had been all ginned up in the Ninth Circuit or in the California uh, San Bernardino magistrates chambers is just going to move to the Second Circuit. And essentially all the same briefs are going to be filed on the underlying question of whether the all writs Act applies. So let me let me just say this to start. The short answer is, on that question, I, uh, having spent the last few weeks looking at this issue, I think Apple is very, very likely to lose on that point. And the reason is actually pretty simple. Uh, The All Ritz Act is a gap filler. And I think we, we may have mentioned this before. It is not just a tool for national security or for law enforcement agencies. It is a tool for federal courts and one that allows them to exercise jurisdiction in cases where Congress has has not clearly done so. In other words, that's why it fills the gaps between statutory schemes. And as we
0: have advances in technology and things that have not been legislated elsewhere, I guess it makes sense that this would be increasingly used as a gap filler because more and more gaps keep coming up.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the the way to think about the All Writs Act essentially is that it is the default. If there's no clear federal answer, then the All Writs Act applies. And so, for example, if we had this conversation a few years ago, if we were debating the All Writs Act, what we would have been talking about was the Guantanamo detainees. So this is, to my mind, this is the number one civil liberties issue of of the last ten years. This is we've talked about this a little bit before, where Rand Paul and Ted Cruz and the Tea Party, and then, of course, essentially the entire left has been outraged about the indefinite detention of American civilians without trial. Well, the only way that those those prisoners could even try to get their case heard in federal court was to invoke the All Ritz Act. That didn't work for a variety of other reasons, but the point is that the All Ritz Act is there to ensure that courts can do justice. Yeah, so
0: it's maybe it's misguided for privacy advocates and maybe Apple's lawyers to make the All Writs Act the enemy when it's it's a law that's important for a lot of reasons for basic just fact-finding in court cases and be, just because it's being used as a gap filler now that isn't necessarily indictment on the All writs Act. It's an indictment on the gap itself, and then that gap needs to be filled by new legislation, well,
1: not removing the All Ritz that, Act. That's right. And I want to be clear: Apple has not said, uh, at least its lawyers haven't said, the All Ritz Act is evil. Some of the journalists and the, the Twitter sphere yeah. have have really just lost their mind about this, and they don't understand that the All Ritz Act is actually in many ways, is a really important thing for civil libertarians. But but so so the, the Apple argument is really focused on saying that there isn't a gap. In other words, they argue that uh, Congress has, in fact, already spoken here, and they point to two laws, the um, Community Assistance to Law Enforcement Act, which uh, was signed by President Clinton back in 1994. And that's what makes
0: like your typical landline telephone required to be wiretap ready for law enforcement.
1: Yeah. So that law um, also says that Americans have a right to end-to-end encryption for communications services. Uh, in other words, Congress essentially gave up on the idea that was initially proposed of having a clipper chip, which was uh, a hardwired technological solution to make sure that law enforcement could, could access any device. Uh, and, and Congress recognized a right to encryption, but said that otherwise that communication services had to be wiretap Ready now, the magistrate judge in New York said oh, it's kind of a close call, but I think Congress has legislated in this general area and has has essentially chosen not to cover Apple. But when you look at the two laws at issue, you actually start to see that they're really not on point. Number one, that the Communications Assistance Law Enforcement Act is about communications. It's just it's not about stuff at rest. It's about me talking to you and whether we encrypt that service. It's just not on point. And the second law that Apple points to, the 1986 Electronic Communications Privacy Act, one that we've talked about needing to be updated to make sure that law enforcement has to get a warrant when they access your email. Well, that law, too, is not applicable because while it is about data at rest... It's about data at rest that is held by third parties. Right, data in the cloud, not data that is on the hard
0: disk on your phone, which is what the FBI Bingo. is looking at for the Farouk phone. Right,
1: and and so it, th- that, in a nutshell, is why those two laws don't apply here and why I think the Ninth Circuit, I'm sorry, the New York magistrate judge, is simply wrong uh, in saying that, there is, uh, that Congress has acted here. Uh, in fact, Congress really has not. It's never covered these things. And the All Act applies, period. Now, y- you can still debate whether this is a proper use of the Act. That's a, a harder question. It's going to depend on the facts of each case. But once you acknowledge that the All Act really is a strong default, then you start getting into these cases and it's going to matter f- pat- fact pattern by fact pattern. And that's, that's a hard case for Apple uh, to be in. And that's where you really may have a better chance for, for Congress to get it right in writing a new statute that makes sure that, yes, sometimes law enforcement can get access, but, but not in every case. So let's talk about next
0: steps and uh, wrap up the, the predictions for the court case. So you say Apple's argument in the New York case is not great. Um, the FBI, even though they won initially, the FBI is going to appeal that. And that's kind of where this fight that is on hold in California is going to now play out. You mentioned, though, the Ninth Circuit being a friendly court to privacy advocates. Do you really think that Apple's going to lose?
1: Well, I think this case is just likely not to go up to the Ninth Circuit. I mean, if, if this technical fix works, then what's going to happen is the Second Circuit is going to rule on the question of whether the all Act applies and very likely say that it does. And And it will probably also say that the particular use in that case, again, the drug dealer's phone... In, in New York is is okay. That would leave unanswered the question of the Ninth Circuit um, that, that the San Bernardino magistrate has been faced with of, okay, well, if the All Rights Act applies, can it be used to force Apple to write new software? That question will be faced by some other court. And and the thing is, these, these cases come up, apparently, pretty often. Law enforcement apparently has dozens of these phones that it wants to unlock. And I think they're just gonna bide their time. They're gonna wait and pick another case and we're gonna fight the same fight again. And maybe there's there's a
0: there's an issue I wanted to bring up because maybe they're not they're gonna wait until there's another case where they have kind of public sympathy on their side, like they do in the in the case of in some ways in the case of Apple v FBI in California because it's a terrorist phone. It's telling that the New York phone is a drug dealer. Now there's a lot of people in the privacy community who have in general criticized government overreach on counterterrorism as a Trojan horse for them to use those capabilities for things like the war on drugs which is many see as a terrible idea of massive failure and the reason for mass incarceration and all sorts of things. And you could see a lot of Americans who say, great, get into the phone of the terrorist, but you just want to look at a meth dealer's phone? That's not the same. And and really, like, mass surveillance, all sorts of things that kind of tie together, we don't necessarily want those capabilities used for things like everyday
1: crime. Yeah, well, so two, two things. Um, number one... They, we're not a drug policy group, um, but it must be said that if you care about privacy, you kind of have to follow the war on drugs because American privacy law has been fundamentally reshaped by the war on drugs. And it, it, it really, if if you were on the fence about the war on drugs, just think about the cost to, to privacy. It has, it has forced the courts to deal with all sorts of law enforcement intervention in communication system that were never really previously contemplated yeah we might not have even been having some of these conversations had we not
0: embarked on this massive undertaking which requires you to wiretap all over the place and look at all these phones and it's you know if it was just terrorism this might this this fight not might not be as pronounced because it really is inexorably related to the war on
1: drugs and, and the second point i would make is that the the san bernardino case obviously was chosen for being sympathetic yeah the problem law enforcement had, though, is there was no urgency. The The attack had already happened. It was only a day's worth of messages that and this, hadn't been backed up on the cloud. And this was his work phone. So, I mean, you'd have to be the
0: dumbest terrorist in the world to put relevant material on your work phone when he already had two other phones, which he
1: destroyed. So my prediction is Second Circuit's going to say, all Ritz Act applies. And then there's going to be some case that's going to happen very quickly because law enforcement's going to go in. They're going to say... We need to get access to this information right now, and there's not going to be time to have weeks and weeks of hearings about this. And if the All Act applies, law enforcement is probably going to get what it wants. And that, that in turn, I, I just want to be clear here, I'm what I'm advocating is really, number one, to be honest about the law and realistic about it, and, and to do our homework and figure out what the facts are, and, and, and then come up with a legislative strategy. And I would say to everybody in the privacy world, if you're worried that the courts may not get it right on a case-by-case basis, which often happens, happens in regulation, it happens here, you need legislation. You need to have a way of dealing with this uh, as it comes up. And and that means having an alternative to the All Writs Act written by Congress. And I think it's just unfortunate that Apple has thus far... Refused adamantly to start having
0: that conversation. Well, Apple does acknowledge that this case is going to be decided by Congress in some ways, but the, just one other thing I wanted to bring up before we wrap up is Apple going to just make phones in the future that do not, cannot possibly be altered in the way that the FBI is asking to avoid this problem entirely? Would that in and of itself be a violation of the All Rights Act? Are you personally comfortable with Apple making unbreakable phones? I mean, this is really, the we, talk, we often talk about how the pace of technology often outpaces government's ability to deal with it. Is this going to be one of those cases where because of this flare-up and because of all the shit that Apple's getting, that they're just going to say, screw it, we're never making another phone that you could ever
1: upload software to without the PIN? If Apple doesn't do that, it's because doing that creates a huge security vulnerability. Not updating phones makes them more vulnerable. And we already know that users don't do it manually. So you really actually want a solution where phones get updated automatically. Now maybe there's a middle ground where some users can can opt in to having to do the updates manually. I, I suspect that's probably where, where we'll end up going. Uh, if that happens, I think Apple has every right to do that. I wanna make clear that uh, if law enforcement tried to stop them, they wouldn't technically be saying it's a violation of the all Ritz Act because the all Ritz Act, Act doesn't regulate in advance. It's simply right. a way for law enforcement to try to force changes after the fact. Uh, but but if anything, th- th- that's not a good world to be in. And we, the best way to avoid that scenario is to have a legislative solution that, that strikes the right balance. And And we're probably likely to see that uh, be discussed there's a legislative working group that's being started by members of both parties in the house to to address these concerns Uh, that's coming out of the judiciary and homeland security uh, judiciary and um, energy and commerce committees and then the homeland security folks have proposed an expert commission of of technical experts the mccall warner commission that would study these problems those two things are going to probably meet next year and we'll we'll have legislation one way or another and we'll certainly be discussing
0: that legislation as it arrives but that's it for today's show my guest has been baron who uh is a champion of personal digital privacy right baron
1: yeah but also being realistic about what the law is and, and yeah. needing to plan accordingly i mean we don't do ourselves any favors by um pretending that the law is what we want it to be exactly well, follow us on
0: Twitter at TechFreedom or on Facebook.com slash Tech freedom. Tell us if you like the show. You can find it in our iTunes store on your favorite podcast app. Please leave us a review. It will help others find the show. And thank you for listening.
1: The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.